The following podcast contains language that is not suitable for everybody. Welcome to issue. Nah. Nah, that's that ain't it. Nope. That ain't it. You're not welcome. You're not welcome. But you are listening to Super Skull issue 267, your weekly new comic day audio digest, this time for the week of March 4th, 2020. My name is Nick Wybar. I'm here with Curtis Sullivan. Hello, Nicholas Wybar. Curtis Sullivan promised me a hilarious intro topic to walk us into the episode this week, and I'm on pins and needles. I suggest that it. it's going to be hilarious. No, I promised it, and I'm going to deliver. And now I'm ready. Curtis, hit me with that very good, very <laughs> funny intro. <laughs> hey, uh, do you have any adult children, Nick? No, I have no adult children. I have no children at all. Well, I do, and they both live with me. My son just moved home Whoa. to live with his dad and mom. Wow. Yeah. That's exciting. It is pretty exciting. But it's just super weird. We had to have a family meeting today. We made family breakfast, uh-huh. and we have a big family meeting, and it was like a real, you know, it reminded me of an old-time TV show called The Brady Bunch, because mm-hmm. it's like a lot of us, and there were some boyfriends and girlfriends in the room, too. Oh. So it's just like a million people in the room, and we're like talking about the rules of the house. Yes. And how there can be no bongs in the living room when dad gets home. Man, you are such a fucking square, I'm a dude. goddamn tyrant. You're like you are like the dad from the Brady Bunch and that he was like he was a fucking cop. <laughs> he would just narc his kids out. But yeah. he was, it was doing what's best for him. You got to go to jail uh-huh. and get better, <laughs> son. And I'm and I'm here to turn you in. So, uh, how did it go? Were they amenable to no bongs in the living room? They were totally cool with it. And we'll see how it goes. Uh-huh. You know? So, we had a good breakfast. So everybody was warmed up. What's but- another rule? Hit me with one more rule. What's, a, <laughs> no, what's another house rule in the Sullivan It just household? relates to weed. You can't smoke any, <laughs> it's all weed any weed in the house ever. Oh, okay. I don't want to smell weed. Well, that seems very reasonable. It's very, very reasonable. And, Step and outside. The common areas have to stay nice and neat. Sure, and sure. We, and, and then I have some other dumb rules. Every Wednesday night, we have to play a board game. Now, this is interesting. And yes, um, we have to have at least three family meals together a week. Wow. Of any p- breakfast, lunch, or dinner. This is ambitious. I know. I'm having these very frank conversations with my children because I want us to connect in a way. Now that they're older yeah. and I'm older, I want us to be a, f- you know, a family, and, and, and that shit's important. Because two adult children living in your home, your kids are in their 20s. 27 and 23. 27 and 23. I wasn't going to put them on blast I'm for how old it. they are, but they're, they're your, I'm the dad. They, you, I, they're your property. You can yes. do, say whatever you want about them. But uh, that's like, you just got two roommates, bro. I sure did. You just got two new roommates. I know. Adult roommates. Well, my daughter's been there, so we have an equilibrium. We have- We got a vibe. We got a vibe going, and, and it's going really, really well. So, um, What's but, the rule for spankings? Zero spankings. Um, you- but you can't get sent to your room with no TV. This is some poor negotiating on your part, I feel like. <laughs> yeah. You negotiated zero spankings? Z- well, I'm not into it. That's not my flavor. You're not a spanker. No, I'm a denied, like, no video games. Oh, okay. You know, give me your cell phone. Yeah. Yeah, this kind of shit. The shit that hurts. Well, I hope that it works out well for you. Yeah. And uh, I'm, that you enjoy hanging out with your kids all the time. It's with your pre-programmed, planned... <laughs> 
hangout <laughs> times with your with your kids. That's awesome. Yeah, it's not a really a funny intro, but this is just what's happening in my life. It's a it's a real. I can't help upheaval. but notice that it wasn't funny at all, <laughs> and I really tried to squeeze some funny out of it. And I couldn't help but notice so that there sorry, there was dude. nothing in there. Well, it's definitely gonna go, you know, can, ass over tit any minute now. Can, will you so, give us an update on that at least I, when it goes I, really poorly? I when will. You, when you have to come on air and regret inviting your adult children right. to live in your home, I will indeed. Yes. Do, do, can you at least make up one of them has a fake boyfriend or something that is like who really cheeses you off? He's like, I don't know. He's, I wish man. he's an Urkel esque character who like livens up the proceedings or something. No, it's so boring and stupid. Like, God damn it! Kylie's boyfriend has he said to me the other day. No shit. This mm-hmm. is how how PG it is. How fun it is at my house. He said, "I'm just here a lot." So I'm going to buy groceries for the house. And then he bought groceries and vacuumed the whole house before he left. That's, okay, that's what sounds like a wonderful young man. But what if he built a clone machine and he kept it in your living room and then there were two of him? Then I would throw him out. And that's what the whole show's about that week. (laughs) It'd be a fucking disaster. Well, it'd be funny. It'd make for comedy gold. Yeah, maybe next time you just fucking make it up, bud. You're saying lie to you. Yeah. All right. That makes for a better story. Just when the microphones are on. <laughs> you're right. You're right. I'm no good at funny, Nick. You know this about me. Well, um, I'm glad that at the end of that conversation, that family meeting, you didn't have to, um, you didn't have to fire any of your children. Me also. I um, like them, but, but I would fire them. I mean, that's the other side of Curtis. I mean, I'm sure. really happy go lucky, but I'm happy to sever the cord. I know that you will. You know who else is not shy about severing the cord? Who's that? That's. DC Comics. That's true. Hey, nice segue. And uh, as we slide into the news. Dan Didio, the co-publisher of DC Comics, mm-hmm. along with Jim Lee, but only G- only Dan Didio, not Jim Lee, was fired this week. Yes. Was that confusing the way that I said that? Dan Didio was fired. He was. He's gone. Yes, very, very recently. Jim Lee not fired. Dan Didio fired. Fired in spectacular fashion. Uh, for cause, even. I, so this is a term, I guess, that is used? Yes. But You own a business. I do, but I, I guess I just hadn't heard it before now. That's not true. We've talked about it many times. Well, I blocked it out of my mind. Firing for cause means that they... Uh, you did something. You did something, and it gets cited, and it's like it's, it's, it's known why you were fired. So Didio was told, he was this told. is why you were fired. Yeah, and it can affect all sorts of things from like how, you know, the amount of time you're allowed to stay at the company to, you know, your references and to any benefits that you might be, you might otherwise have had access to. Uh, it's very, very rare. So here's here's my goal for this conversation as we talk about Dan Didio. Yes. I want to pretend that there's someone here listening with us, because there is, in a way, Curtis, yeah. that doesn't give a shit about Dan Didio. Who is he? They don't know. Or DC Comics. Right. That'd be weird if you were listening to a, a Super Skull comic book podcast and you didn't care about DC Comics at all. But let's just, let's for the sake of argument, say, mm-hmm. why should I care that some rich executive got fired for cause from DC Comics? Right. Our job here is to convince that person that this matters. And I, I think I think we have an argument for why it is interesting. Yeah. I'm with you. You you're gonna you wanna stay with Let's me? Let's do on this? this thing. Yeah. So he was fired last week for fostering a poor work environment. First of all, what does a co publisher do at DC Comics? Well, as far as I can understand, he has his fingers in all 
the pies that are being everything has happened. So there's DC's a big huge company. So they have lots of they have a big tree of editors and people making all this stuff, all the content they put out. So they've got a Batman line. They have a Superman line. And what that means is they have an editor and co-editors and sub-editors. Yep. That, that, like a tree, like a kick-ass tree. Like a kick-ass tree. And Didio's at the top of this thing. And mm-hmm. he is definitely got his hands at least partially on every steering wheel in that DC kind of main publishing uh, system. This right? is the logistics for how stuff gets edited, how it gets put out, and it's the creative direction of the company. Yeah, what are we going to do? What's this? We're going. We want to sell a bunch of comic books this month. What are they? What gets approved? Yeah. What's the vibe of these books? And what's the vibe of the workplace? Like how? In what type of environment does this stuff get created? Right. right. And we have Jim Lee, who is the co-publisher, but Jim Lee seems to be more involved in other aspects of DC stuff. He seems to be more involved in. Things that are not necessarily the comic book end of things is from is is from what we've read. Right, he's more involved in like the video game properties and like tertiarily involved in the movie stuff and TV stuff a little bit and toy lines. And that doesn't mean that he has nothing to do with the comic side of things. But the comic side of things in the DC universe squarely fell under Dan Didio's purview. Right. No, he was more of the yeah kind of operations and sales person, I guess maybe. Uh, at where Jim Lee was definitely like a creative. He Jim Lee uh, made his bones in comics, drawing comics. Yes, you know, and he's still for DC for the video games and toys and stuff. He was doing like the character designs and yep. the drawings and this kind of stuff. Right. So already we have one of the co-publishers of one of the two biggest publishers uh, for comics on the planet. Sure. So stuff that happens at DC Comics matters for all comics it It affects the entire medium in a way because so much of the money coming into comics is coming in through dc and marvel right yeah fully 70 percent or more yeah so this it's a huge deal to like have a shake-up like this and it's also pretty unheard of i mean usually when you have executives at this level of any large company you're usually allowed to quietly resign this yes. is this is the thing. You're allowed to give a resignation and nobody really says anything. And then there's scuttlebutt and people kind of know why you were pushed out or why you were asked to resign. But being fired for cause uh, by surprise, which is apparently what happened here, is yeah. super unusual and very surprising. For sure. Yeah. So it caught the comic book world completely by surprise. And this, what complicates all of this is that we're on the cusp of a brand new reboot for DC. Yeah. A reboot being what, Curtis? Well, and this is something they've been talking about for a year, dropping hints and, and, and little winks and nods. They've already published a couple comics kind of leading into this. Um, a reboot is when a comic book company uh, needs to kind of clean house and get their, their publishing lines in order. So Superman and Batman are doing whatever they're doing, and but they're sprawling storylines that need to kind of be brought to a close, and then we can do a big old reveal a lot of number ones yes. get everybody excited about the new direction we can do wonder woman number one batman number one superman number one and in theory because they all live in the same fictional universe they're all starting out on the same like in the, in the same point in time right and they can hang out together and go on adventures together that's right and the, it all quote unquote i'm making symbols with my hands it makes sense yes yes the continuity the stories the make continuity sense. of the fictional universe yep. uh, will finally make sense again <laughs> after the chaos of the last three years that's where apparently it didn't make any sense that's right i'm being sarcastic yeah so and and maybe the news will care and maybe the greater world will pay attention to comics for you know a week while exactly. all these announcements are happening so it's good for sales it's good for publicity it's good for all that stuff it's good for comic shops typically 
it makes some noise in a way that I will argue later in this conversation is inhibiting to comics and maybe bad for comics in the long run. But in the short run, there can be no doubt. A a reboot will push some money and some attention into the thing. Mm Mm-hmm. So we got a new reboot coming up, and this is Dan Didio's baby. It's called 5G. We've talked about it on this podcast, on and off. It's a new generation of superheroes. We don't know what it really was supposed to look like. We only heard like bits and pieces of announcements, but younger heroes were going to take the mantle from older superheroes. Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman were all going to age very, very rapidly. Yes. And they were going to kind of go into semi-retirement, and these younger heroes would take their mantles from them. This mm-hmm. was supposedly the the upshot of this new reboot. And it's imminent. It's coming this year. And now, then because it was Dan Didio's thing, nobody really knows what's going on with it. But I'd like to talk a little bit about Dan Didio and what his deal is. The human Dan Didio. The human Dan Didio started his career in television. He worked on a TV show called Reboot. Yeah. Do you remember the TV show I do. Reboot? So I, I missed it because uh, it was a little after my yeah, you were cartoon adult. time. Yep. Yeah. But I remember it was everywhere. I mean, it was lunchboxes and t-shirts. It was one of these. It was like a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. It was about like these video game characters that lived inside like a video game console and they would just hang out until it was time to play the video game. This is what I remember it being about. It's a great setup. And it was like computer-rendered graphics, which is really unusual for the time. It wasn't uh, like hand-drawn animation. It was like all computer. So it was kind of like clunky looking in a 90s way. I loved it. I loved this show. Uh, so I just looked up some images of this thing because I remember it being amazing looking. Yes. And is it? It is. It will make your eyes bleed. Yes. It is hideous. But at the time, it was amazing. Cutting looking. edge. There was no- nothing else yep. looked like Reboot. Yeah. Um, and he was one of the head writers for that show. He came to D.C. in 2002 as vice president of editorial. Dan Didio did, by the way. Dan Didio did. Dan Didio did. Dan Didio did. Dan Didio did. And so that was 2002. Comes in. He's vice president of editorial. He moves pretty quickly up the ranks to become executive editor and then eventually co-publisher in 2010. So in eight years at D.C., he becomes co-publisher of the company. And I think to understand Dan Didio, you have to understand DC's approach to single-issue comics and to the reboot thing that you were just talking about, Curtis, and to continuity in general. DC was paying attention to creating like a cohesive, consistent, fictional universe before anybody thought this was like cool or necessary or a thing that you had to do in comics. No, and they they were really excited to explain it. Yes. And just make it a thing, right? So you would kind of, it would be implied that it would be happening maybe at Marvel, you know, in the late 60s, right? Because characters would interact. Yes. You know. But uh, no, DC wanted to let you know exactly how all this shit was functioning yep. and tied together and how it, no, totally makes sense. It totally makes and sense. And here's why. And they would like, they, they, they could look you straight in the eye and say, no, it totally makes sense. Yeah. And it was really important to them in a way that it didn't, it didn't seem like it was important to literally anyone else that was making comics. But this was DC's thing. Yeah. In 1961, even, DC put out this story called The Flash of Two Worlds. This was Flash number 123, which suggested that everything that happened to DC characters all took place in the same uh, universe. But that any time there was a conflict, it was because of the multiverse. Right. Things happened on a different Earth. Yeah. where everything was the same except for the thing that you're going to complain about. That <laughs> happened on a different Earth. This, this is when they introduced this idea. Yeah. I submit to you, Curtis, mm-hmm. that this, this should be the most valuable comic in the world. Really? Yeah. I think it should be... I, so Action Comics number one is important because it introduces the superhero. Yeah. It like introduces the popular idea of the superhero in the form of Superman. Yes. 
I think as important as that is the idea of this shared universe stuff if you think about the context that we live in today where everybody wants a shared universe for literally everything that they watch so you're or saying read yeah every movie has got to be in a shared universe yeah. now yeah um man uh yeah i don't know because <laughs> i love it but i'm a dork yeah i think I just can't tell if there's a tiny fraction of a fan base that wants that and everybody else doesn't give a shit. Whether they give a shit or not, because I agree with you. Right. I totally agree with you. But whether that whether that you give a shit about it or not, that choice by DC to do to, for them to do that affected the way comics are made. Sure. All comics are like completely different because DC made this choice. And as a consequence of that, all the movies and TV shows, which are now the biggest cultural properties in the world, yep. those are all different as a result of this decision that was made in the 60s. And they're all doing it. You know, the they're CW all doing shows, it. the yeah. Flash shows, they're do, they're, they just wrapped up their Crisis on Infinite Earths story. They're, they're all in for it. I think, so maybe not as much as Action Comics. What, what does an issue of Action Comics number one go to go for nowadays? Currently, in a 9.8 grade, it goes for uh, 3.2 million. That's a lot it's of a cool money. And Flash number 123, what does that go for? Uh, a measly six and a half grand. So I'm six and a half grand is a lot less. It's a lot less. So it's I'm just so saying, much less. So I'm wrong. Yeah. But I'm just saying, if it should be a million dollar comic. It's so fucking cool. It's important. It it's super important as far as like moments in comic history because Marvel immediately was like, we have to do this. Yes. And have spent the rest of their time as a publisher in a different way, but pursuing continuity. Totally different than DC. Well, not totally different, but but in major ways. And startup companies, new publishers, you know, Valiant Comics or even Dark Horse has flirted at different times throughout their publishing history of like, let's do a shared universe. No, it's a given if you're making comics. The assumption is that it's in a shared universe. You have to go out of your way to say that this is like a standalone thing. Yeah. Right? If you're making single issue comics. All right, that's that's that that's my that's my I submit to you that that should be the case. It's clearly not the case. <laughs> Regardless. Yeah, yeah. Uh in the 60s we start off this idea that there's a shared universe and then in uh <laughs> in 1985 we have Crisis on Infinite Earths. So I read that Marv Wolfman got a letter from a fan asking him why the Flash No, it was a Green Lantern. Somebody some kid wrote Marv Wolfman a letter said, "Hey, why does Green Lantern not remember that he met this character when it clearly happened in this other issue?" Yeah. And Marv Wolfman spent the next 4 years answering that question until it culminated in Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yeah. Cuz he goes to DC, he goes to publishers, he's like, "Hey, let's do a big event that like smooths all of this out. All of our storylines are all over the place. We have this wacky multiverse where there's all these earths where everything's happening on. Let's lean into it and then smash them all together in a big event. And at the end of it, everyone will live in one reality. It'll be crisis on infinite earths. So I love this because two reasons. One, I always assumed um, that the letters page had a big impact on the, the way comics have become what they are, right? Back in the day, letters pages were a big deal in comic books. Every single comic book sure. published had a letters page. And it was like this direct interface uh, from fans to these publishers. And yep. it felt like, based on what I've read, that that shit mattered. What the fans said in those pages would have an influence on the writers and artists and publishers that were you know, getting these things, right? So that's huge because, as we know, that changed everything. Right, that's a big deal for Marv Wolfman to be affected in that way, and then literally fundamentally change publishing for DC going forward in every way. Right? Yep. Because Crisis and Infinite Earths was a huge, huge deal. 
Um, it was DC was really struggling in the market at this point. Okay. They're, like they're getting uh, their lunch served to them on a platter by Marvel Comics, and it's a cold lunch. It's a cold, sad lunch. DC is kind of like. They're the old-fashioned company. They're making old-fashioned shit for old people <laughs> right. at this point. And it's seen as like really convoluted with all their Earths and multiverse and stuff. And Marvel just was like the cool kid, and they were just able to like roll with it. Well, yeah, just, Marvel's in New York, and they're in, yeah. in, on Earth. And, and they're a newer company, wherever, and, right? Especially yeah. the new wave of Marvel superheroes that came out in the 60s. Like you could put, they could all just kind of hang out. Like Superman can run into Fantastic Four and like wave at them, and they all live in New York City, and it's like a real place, and it's not that hard to describe or explain. Whereas in DC, in order to like make all of these things that have been running since the 30s on and off, it's like much more complicated. And DC was at pains to like explain how complicated it was. <laughs> right, right, right. So this crossover event is like built to clean up all of these storylines, and it totally worked. Crisis is a huge hit. It's a critical hit. It's a commercial hit. And analysts today credit it as like saving DC as a publisher. Well, so I'm going to tell you a little anecdote from, from my days as a young kid. I was, Please. in 1985, I was 14 years old, and I was a total Marvel, what they call the Marvel zombie. You were a Marvel zombie. What do you got, Marvel? Give me that book. I'm going to buy it. Marvel? Make mine Marvel. Boom. Holy shit. I saw issue, I don't know, three or four of Crisis on Infinite Earths, and the guy at the comic shop was like, man, you want to you wanna check that out, kid. It was the book that turned me into a DC maniac. Yeah. I love Crisis on Infinite Earths. It's one of my favorite comics of all time. It was just so fucking big and impactful. So much stuff happened. Every issue, worlds are just dying. Antimatter is consuming this universe. Heroes are like valiantly fighting to their last to save anyone, two people from a planet. Mm -hmm. And they're dying. And I mean, Flash dies. He gets caught in the time stream. Supergirl dies. What's the what's the premise of this book? Is all these Earths are being wiped out by something. But right? it's antimatter, right? So there's two ancient beings that are kind of came about at the formation of the universe, the mm-hmm. monitor and the anti-monitor. And the anti-monitor was sealed away. And the scientist decides, hey, I'm going to figure out how the universe was created. Yeah. So he makes this machine that can look back in time and he sees the formation of the universe but it causes the anti-monitor to awaken ah shit and so he just yeah literally just sends this wave of antimatter to consume all light yeah it is so kick-ass i'm getting like goosebumps talking about it it did it it did it for you i've read this book 10 times i own every version of it every ever published i mean it's a big deal it's a super good book well, it worked not just on you but it worked on uh on everybody because yeah it saved dc is the common consensus. And DC took notice of this fact because it's a theme that they would return to for the next 30 years, 30 plus years to this very day. So we had one more big crossover event in the 90s. It was called Zero Hour Crisis in Time. Um, But then Dan Didio enters the scene. Yes. And we get Identity Crisis. The Crisis Era, as it's known. Identity Crisis. Mm -hmm. Infinite Crisis. 52 Countdown to Final Crisis, which then led to Final Crisis. Then we have Flashpoint, and then we have Convergence. All of these, and especially the last two, New 52, or rather Flashpoint and Convergence, led to big company reboots. Yes. The biggest of which was the New 52, which was the biggest one that they had done to date, and it like was a hard reset on literally everything. Every title stopped. They renumbered. They took, put out 52 new books that they started yes. at number one. This was the most ambitious 
DC had ever done one of these things that kind of like started with uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths. But the the upshot is that they learned that a way to turn things around, at least for a year or so, is to have a big event where all the superheroes get together and have to fight something or fight each other. And then at the end of it, reset and get a bunch of number ones and start everything over. And they did it over and over and over again. And Marvel followed suit. Almost every time we had one of these uh, DC crossovers, Marvel's doing the same thing. Almost at the exact same time. It's like they're publishing schedules like there's a spy in each publisher's house. Yes. You know? Or they're just working off the some same cosmic rhythm that we yes. don't know about. But yes, every single time DC does one, Marvel's got one. And it's it's kind of hard to escape that Dan Didio is, is pushing a, at a lot of this stuff. He's responsible for creatively for... Like uh, for for be- making the headway and for making a lot of these events happen, whether or not he's writing much of it or whether or not he's overseeing it, but once he becomes co-publisher, he's like he is the one who is for pushing sure. these initiatives forward. No, and that's from 2010, and that all of these events happen, you know, under Dan Didio as yes. co-publisher. So he definitely, I think, was steering the ship here. And then we have so the last one, Convergence, led to Rebirth, and Rebirth was the brainchild of a different DC writer who was like. Jeff Johns. Jeff Johns, who was writing Green Lantern at the time and uh, is one of your favorite writers over at DC. Huge fan. Yep. And his thing was like, let's make DC... Why does DC have to be so dark? Right. <laughs> like, we can lighten things. We can have a That's rebirth. a good question. We can, like, make things... These are superheroes. This is, like, Superman and Wonder Woman we're talking about here. Like, this can be positive. We can make these books cheerier and uplifting and inspiring to people. Sure, and still have punching, which is cool. And still have punching, yeah. But it does. Everything doesn't have to be a crisis, right? And then you get rebirth as a result of that, and that's like the point of this line, the last big reboot that they did, and it also led to the end of Jeff Johns as, <laughs> as a chief creative officer at uh, DC Comics. He he kind of leads, uh, he kind of leaves the company at this point, and Didio is well established as co-publisher, and now we're in Dan Didio land. Yeah, and the idea of things being uplifting and inspiring kind of goes out the window when Jeff Johns leaves and when the rebirth thing kind of dies down a little bit. Sure, and it, and you know, looking in hindsight, and we'll talk about some more of this in here in a minute, but. Yeah, creatives start to leave DC. Yes. Uh, and John's is one of the kind of that first kind of warning signs. Like, you know, now that we can look at this in hindsight, like, you know, he was a big deal. He wrote some of the most successful comics that that company had published in the 2010s. I mean, he rebooted Flash successfully. He rebooted Green Lantern successfully. I mean, these are titles that were doing nothing that he made, you know, solid selling books. Yep. Um, and now that, you know, Dan Didio is like firmly setting the creative direction of the company, things get pretty dark. We get books like Dark Knight's Metal for a crossover event. We get Year of the Villain. We get DC Black Label stuff, which especially at its inception in 2018 was like really dark. Yeah. And it was supposed to be very violent and graphic. Like that was that was how it was pitched even. Yes. Unfortunately, with, yeah. Like adult comics for DC at, you yes. know, and Didio maybe equals like you know, all murder porn, right. you know, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And we had deceased. Right. <laughs> what if you read deceased? I read a couple issues. Yeah. Yeah. What if, um, every, all the superheroes that you love got turned into, um, face eating, insane rabies zombies. Just what I've always wanted. Yeah. Just the thing that I was always looking for. And then we have, as all of these events are happening and things are like taking a turn editorially and creatively for the dark, 
uh, 5G is on the horizon, which is this reboot, and it's supposed to be happening in 2020. So while all this is happening, and over the past few months, we saw a bunch of editors quit at DC. Yeah. Um, Pretty, as many as five. That's a lot. And one of them was Pat McCollum, who was technically in charge of the DC universe. Like, he, it was his job to keep track of all of this stuff he and sort, to, like, usher the, it. The line-wide editor? Yes. They call for, it? Yeah, for the DCU. Wow. And he went on Thanksgiving vacation and immediately sent in his resignation and Yeesh. quit in, like, spectacular fashion. And that's really unusual. But what we, the scuttlebutt and the rumors are, like, writers are really feeling the pinch from, like, what exactly is this new reboot supposed to be for? How is it supposed to be structured? When is it happening? How is it happening? It's creating enough stress that editors are like quitting in mass. And this doesn't apparently go very over very well with the parent company, Warner Brothers and right. AT&T. And possibly they're not crazy. And again, this is all like rumors and bullshit. We don't really know, but like possibly they're also not super into the idea of putting these classic superheroes out to pasture when there's so much money to be made. Off of the bat, off of Bruce Wayne as Batman. Oh my goodness! Like the 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 big three: Batman, Wonder Woman, and Superman are all responsible for so much revenue outside of comic books. Yeah, it's it's hard to imagine a scenario where the executives at AT and T, Time Warner, aren't very concerned about the shape at the minimum of those three characters. Right? Come I, on. I guess I also just don't think that executives at Warner Brothers give a single shit about what happens in comic books. Right. It's like such a tiny amount of their revenue and such a tiny amount of their audience that... They, so there's... Because there's a lot of writing about this on, on the internet. There's sure. a lot of people like speculating as to what Warner Brothers... Like, Warner Brothers is mad about Bruce Wayne not being Batman anymore. And I just cannot imagine that they, anybody actually cares. The only reason I think they would care is because of the IP as a as a big thing. Not the money coming from comic books, but yeah. the video game money, the but movie Bruce money. Bruce Wayne's... Never going anywhere. It's not like Bruce Wayne becomes a little older in the comics, which he's done many times in the past, and then you can't put whatever of, of, Bruce Wayne of, of in course. whatever movie. Yeah, you, know? you just want to avoid like right bad press, right? Yes. You know, people being like, "DC, what the hell?" You know, you're fucking up, right? Yeah. And then, of course, speaking of bad press, there's the bat penis, which I thought was good press, but I don't know much about press. So in Batman Dam Number One, this is like the launch of DC Black Label, which <laughs> right, is another the first Dan- book, which is another Dan Didio uh, initiative. Is yes. DC Black Label in Batman Damned? Uh, we got a panel that featured Batman's penis. Uh, it's my favorite thing that's happened in comic books in the past decade. We get two shots of the bat peen too. It's great. Yeah, it's great. And it caused a big media kerfuffle. Everybody was um, writing about it. And some, yeah. and some people, eh, were, was anyone actually upset about it? I guess probably some people feigned. They had to have been. Don't miss a chance to be upset about something on the <laughs> internet, I guess. Um, but it was the launch of DC Black Label. It wasn't expected. Previews of this book went out that did not as prominently feature Batman's penis. Right. And uh, that means that there, it what took some people by surprise and retailers felt like they were, uh, you know, they had a Batman's penis foisted upon them. It was like a Trojan horse type situation. Yes, exactly. Yeah, you open this comic. What? Yeah, exactly. Instead of a... Yeah, exactly. Think of the children. Instead of soldiers inside, it was just Batman's penis. That's right. Um, so it's safe to assume that Warner Brothers and AT&T did not love this as a rollout. If we want to talk about stuff that inze- that executives at big companies are noticing, yes, that is a thing they definitely noticed. You would think. Yeah, we we have. It's probably safe to assume. 
Um, Dan Didio also had this habit of making public announcements about storylines before telling his editors, right? <laughs> or telling writers at DC. Well, what, what's the harm that could come from that? You have a giant apparatus of like hundreds of employees. Like who cares? Yeah. You know? Just and then everybody's scrambling. Like, do we have to do this now? How do we do this? Like, what book is it going to come out? It takes months and months to make these things. We've already planned out the next, I guarantee you they've got on the big books, they've got at least a half a year in the can. Yeah, absolutely. And come then, on. But, and then it, supposedly Didio would like make these announcements that were not necessarily part of the plan. All of this is scuttlebutt. All of this is like just people speculating on the internet about what is going on with this guy. What we do know is that Didio was spearheading a major new reboot that was supposed to re- release this year and yes. it was going to probably bring a lot, supposed to, by his track record and by what DC likes to do, is supposed to bring a bunch of money into DC publishing, right? Well, and more importantly, like, let's come on. They were going to fix continuity fix once continuity. and for all because everyone cares about that. And it would be the last reboot they would ever do. Because finally, all 80 years of thousands and thousands of writers and yeah. artists, storytelling would combine into yes. a cohesive once Followable. again, yep. <laughs> yeah, you say that in a way that I don't think that you believe it. Um, but you know these these reboots are a big deal for DC. So he's on the cusp of doing this new thing. Right. It's causing you know there. It's a big initiative, no matter how you shake it, and it's a big deal for DC. Well, and he's definitely feeling the pressure, right? So over the last few years, Marvel has has taken a more commanding market share than they've had in many years, right? So it's 50% market share to, you know, 30% market share. That's big. 50 Marvel, 30 DC. Yes. And they've been much closer than that over the years traditionally. Typically, Marvel has led the market share battle for on and off for a couple of decades, with DC taking the lead here or there. The gap has widened in a big way. Yeah. And really, DC starts to close the gap when they do one of these events. They sure do. When they do a big crossover yes. event. So you so know that's on his mind, right? You have to. And, but, and all, but all we know, we're, we can't, we don't know what's in his heart. We don't know what's in Mr. Warner Brothers' heart. That's right. Or Mrs. AT&T, the, the two presidents of those two companies. Uh-huh. Uh, but what we do know is that this thing is coming down the pipe. We know that lots of editors quit over the past few months, and then we know that Didio was fired in spectacular fashion. And, and it takes everybody by surprise. Right. And we know as comic book readers, we've been talking about this on this show as we're reading our monthly comic books. Yes. Like, hey, why is this weird all of a sudden? It's, why is what weird? Why is this comic I'm reading different? Why does it feel like... Story elements are being shoved in here for sur- for some greater editorial purpose. Yeah, why right? is this good writer otherwise like including this character or that element? Right. For like what what is that? I am reading. I'm just trying to read this story, and all of a sudden, I'm noticing something in here that seems weird. Yes, and it's you can tell definitely because it would it was creeping into all the the main DC books. You know, mixed with these rumors that editorially they're trying to do what they do every three years. They're trying to. For whatever reason, yes. take every book and have them dovetail into some yes. climactic thing. So I want to talk about whether or not, you know, what does it... So I don't know if we've done a good job of convincing anybody that this matters. Right. Um, but we should also say, before we give our verdict on, like, the Didio era of DC and, like, what he meant to comics, like, we should also know that under Dan Didio's watch, Eddie Berganza was uh, who's an editor who's a serial harasser of women this is like well known and established at this point and uh dan didio this was like under his purview that eddie berganza kept a job for a really really long time yeah and 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 in weird ways where like 
hey, you can have your job, but there there's no women allowed in in this section of the DC office Man, type in the stuff. Superman office, like it was just women were not. Are, there, it was an informal policy that women would not work in the Superman offices because it was known as just kind of a toxic place and like it was just easier to keep women out of there than to deal with uh the complaints that would inevitably result from that that is that's really really shitty it's and that's under his watch that's under there's a lot of people responsible for that but like jim lee and dan didio are firmly and jim lee still like should own responsibility for that yeah and the lack of women at the top of dc management structure since dan didio came on and like started rising through the ranks at dc is also a huge bummer so just want to like throw that out there before we, you know, make any judgments on Didio, good or bad. Sure. Yeah. And it's complicated. I mean, he was there for almost 20 years. So there's, you know, mm-hmm. the dude's done some cool stuff, I think. Mm-hmm. He's not my favorite uh, writer on the planet. I'll say that much. Didio, don't, whatever you go on to do, don't write comics. Yes, sir. My guy. Yeah. So I don't know. What do you think? What, how do you uh, think about the Didio era? Well, you know, there's you know a couple recent initiatives that we, you know, I want to bring up. Uh, he was there for the launch of DC Zoom and DC Inc., which are an an all ages graphic novel line and like a teens and tweens graphic novel line, right? Which are two of the biggest, fastest growing segments of the comic book market, right? And he's had some really good success with that. I think it's a very good initiative. I think it's long overdue. Marvel should lean into it harder. Because that's where the money is, mm-hmm. you know. Sell books to kids and to teenagers. Uh, they want to buy them, and the sales are huge. And you know, DC's had some big successes recently. Their latest book, uh, Diana, Princess of the Amazons, is like a all ages Wonder Woman book. Yeah, quarter million copies sold. It's been out for eight weeks. Mm-hmm. It's a big deal. DC doesn't have successes like that um, outside of, and that's in the comics market. But that's outside of the comics market too. That's in bookstores and stuff, right? So that's pretty huge. You know, that's a cool one from from Didio that uh, we should uh, give him props for. Didio went out so fast, it's crazy, right? Mm -hmm. His handlers were scheduling. I read this from multiple news sources. They were scheduling appearances for him as soon as that morning. We should say, yeah, this announcement came while uh, Toy Fair was going on, which is a big deal in the comic book industry. And while the Comic Book Professional Retailer Organization Conference was going on, and the exec, like, so DC's executive team is spread out all over the country. Right. And nobody knows that this is happening. And like you said, like, his stuff is still being scheduled. This was, this really just, just dropped on this dude. Yeah, we were sitting in a giant conference room with a ton of people as phones started lighting up. It was literally one of these. Yeah. You know, people, like, leaving the room, like, holy shit, what is happening? Yep, and the people that were there, the ed- the executives from DC that were at the conference that we were at, like... Yeah. They had nothing. They were like, nope, we just read about it the exact same as you did. We have no idea what's going yeah, on. Yeah, we got a text. Yeah. yeah. So that's crazy. Um, we should say uh, when stuff like this happens, uh, traditionally, uh, anything that Didio was spearheading, including 5G, is likely to to not be what it was. Yeah, and it's looking like, and the, and again, just from reporting, and it's take everything with a grain of salt, that like whatever was going to happen with this big reboot, it's not going to happen on the same scale, and it's going to look a lot different, probably. It's very unlikely that the direction that he was pushing it and that he was heading with it is uh, is going to continue in his absence. It might be a much like a, a more reduced project. Right, which I, I'm kind of here for. But either either way, I like a good reboot, too, if we can get it right and finally get that continuity right. Shut the fuck you up. You know? Um, 
my least favorite thing about Dan Didio, I'm just going to say right here, is that he is uh, a dude who I think was a real uh, wagon circler, as no one has ever said. He kept talent that worked for DC at DC. Mm -hmm. And so all the folks that work there now have been there. There's not a lot of new blood. At some of their smaller publishing initiatives, at Zoom and Inc., you'll get some stuff. But at their main line, uh, you've got the same guys who have been writing comic books for decades working over there. And that is not like the rest of the comic book biz. Marvel, their biggest rival, who has had success upon success over the last couple of decades, has constantly pulled talent from smaller publishers, successful talent from smaller publishers, namely Image Comics. Mm -hmm. Their biggest creators of the last 10 years, Donnie Cates, Jason Aaron, Jeff Lemire and John Hickman, mm -hmm. who have done huge things. G. Willow Wilson. G. Willow Wilson, thank you, um, have all been pulled from smaller publishers, Dark Horse and Image, and have added freshness, new shit to that company in a way that you can't deny. Yeah, I for mean, sure. it's invigorated that company. That's why they're where they are market share-wise over the last 10 years. Yeah. DC just doesn't do that. Yeah. And is that the job of the co-editor to co-publisher co-publisher excuse me to bring in that talent and and get that fresh blood in there and, and and do something different i mean if you if you pull the camera all the way back and if like all we're trying to do here is put out good books that people give a shit about i don't know what else your job is you're not looking at the hottest writers and artists like yeah. that are making noise that are putting out cool books and going i want you for a project yeah. hey what are you doing you want to come over here and do something for us do you want to do an original book and we started to see some of that in the form of DC Black Label and in the yes. form of, you know, I mean, Tom King is one of those acquisitions. This he, is a dude that is. was doing independent books that like, you yep. know, then got put onto other DC stuff and even would and wrote one of their flagship characters sure. for. But he's kind of an exception at DC. There's there's not a lot of writers like that. Totally. And in the end, as we know, he got his wings clipped and yep. got his run shorted and and all that. So I think that is a failing. And I hope whoever takes the, the helm over there. Yeah. Really pays attention to but what's been working at other publishers. Yeah. Get some get some hot shit talent in there that's yeah. gonna mix things up, right? Because what it feels like is at Marvel is you can and, and maybe and the, we have no idea. We just don't know what it's actually like to be edited on one of these large superhero books. But right. what it feels like is at Marvel the mandate is like tell a tell a crazy weird story, good story with these characters. And at yeah. DC it's like uh, you know, it's you can you get to write Superman, but make sure that you hit A, B, and C, and D. Here's our villain of the week. Here's right. where that villain needs to be in six months. And it just feels like that as a reader. That's not based on any info right. or any like you know anything that we know about the editorial structure. It just feels like it as you're reading the books. Yeah, and we and we can see that you know to uh, some effect at Marvel, right? Because like a Donny Cates will go over there and he'll write a a book. Yeah, and it's successful, so they give him another book, and then it's even bigger, and then they give him another book. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah, uh, I would love DC if you're listening, and I know you are. Yeah. Pay attention to that. DC, I think, exists, uh, to my point I just uh, made, uh, in its own bubble. It's a moon-orbiting planet comic book. Ooh, what do you mean by that? I like that. So I think every other publisher on the planet shares talent. They pay attention to the larger trends in the business in a way that DC just doesn't. Yeah. And if DC does it, and they, and they do, they have to, right? Because they're a giant corporation. So they are looking at what's selling. But they just do it in this enclosed environment, it feels like. Yeah. They tell stories in a different way. Marvel has giant continuity too, but it just feels different. It yeah. feels more accessible. It, it feels less precious. 
exactly. And you can fuck around with it and get weird with it and then just who cares yeah. and do a different thing. And yeah, it's still all connected and we're going to say that, but yeah. everything doesn't live and die on <laughs> by the by the universe bible that lives somewhere. Right. Uh so how I, yeah, I would uh love for um yeah, whoever comes on board to to think about DC's place in the comic industry and to understand that I think they do have some of the best IPs on the planet. I love their characters. I love their company. Yeah. I mean, I'm super vested in DC for decades and decades as a fan and as a reader, as a collector, you yeah. know. But, man, hopefully this is going to... We'll get some fresh blood in there. Yeah, I think you, you kind of need to to wipe the whole slate clean a little bit over at DC and how they think about the thing. And by the thing, I mean the medium and the role of like single issue comics and continuity comics in general. I I think there's no deny. Dan Didio was the best in the business at what he did, and what he did was reboots, <laughs> crises, crises. Yeah, nobody was better in the industry at understanding how to manage a crossover and get money out of a reboot. And he nailed a couple of them. He, he really did. Whatever. Yeah, sure. I th- I think he of did. Course, you yeah, know? Some, yeah. I think he missed more than he hit. The, yeah, you're right about that. But, but yeah. for some of them, but it, that that mode of thinking about how single-issue comics should work has become how comics have worked for the past 20 years. Like, it is how the industry has, like, functioned financially. And you have to put a lot of that at Dan Didio because he was the one spearheading it. He didn't invent the thing, but he perfected it for the last... For sure. Like, decade at least, right? And I think in the long run, that hurts comics. I think the reboot thing is bad for comics. I think it is confusing for anybody that isn't a little bit into this thing. I think it's kind of alienating. The whole idea of like a perfect... Con- to, just to say that everything exists in one universe implies that you have to give it even one shit about the fact that it exists in one universe. Sure. And if you just want to read one comic, that quickly becomes silly. Yeah. Because six months later, something is going to intrude on that story that you're reading that uh, you won't understand or that you can't understand unless you buy into the idea that this is one shared universe. Right. This whole approach to comics, this like uh, let everything get crazier and crazier and crazier and then do a reboot and smooth everything out and then let it get crazier and crazier for two years and then smooth it out and do a reboot. I don't, I think we're going to look back on this time and see that we were limiting comics in a way. I think we're, I think it's making it harder and harder for single issues to justify themselves as a medium, especially superhero comics. I think good stuff that has happened in superhero comics has happened in spite of reboots and crossovers and big continuity stuff. Sure. Continuity should be fun. It shouldn't be the point. And D- for DC, it's felt like the point for oh, the past 30 years, Agreed. 35 years. And, and at the expense of so much. You know, at the expense of creators trying to finish telling yeah. stories in their books that are already selling good. Yeah. You know, we watched Tom King's book. We've all seen it as an industry. That book was selling 100K, 120K. They kicked Tom King off the book for editorial stuff. The thing is plummeting. Yeah. It's about 70 grand uh, was the latest issue, 75. Yeah. Uh, and it's all at the feet of being too precious about uh, superhero continuity and Dan Didio if nothing else, was 
the dude who understood DC's superhero continuity in a way that nobody else did. Yeah. So uh, for that reason, for all the good and bad stuff he did, and I do think that like on measure, if we look at the whole thing, the workplace environment that he cultivated, sure, the way that women were treated, like it's hard to look back on measure and say that I'm glad Dan Didio was there because as we look back at it and as we think on it, like it's 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 pretty shitty. No, for the things that I liked that he did, I spent almost you know, fully 80% of my time complaining about Didio yeah. over his tenure at DC. Yeah. So it's probably yeah. for, uh, for me, I'm glad he's gone. Um, I don't necessarily, you know, wish anything particularly shitty for Dan Didio. That's not what no, I'm saying. But no. like, you know, I, 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 my hope is that because he's gone, that comics can move on a little bit because DC is too big a force. The moon, the, the gravitational pull of the moon <laughs> of DC right. comics That's right. is too strong to not have that company like moving in a direction that you want because when they do things, the rest of the industry has to react. Yep. And the choices that they've made over the past 10 years have been really short-sighted and uh, I think on measure have, have made the whole thing smaller. Yep. No, if you're going to do a reboot, if you're going to do any sort of, you know, in reboots, the, let's stop using that word even. Yeah. Just put out kick-ass books. You cannot read a Superman comic under Dan Didio unless you read Action Comics and three other books, even if there's not a crossover event looming, right? These things are all built to be tied together. There's six books in the in the Superman line. There's yeah. six books in the Batman line. And you know? maybe that is maybe you can't have superhero books sell any other way because we see other publishers that don't do this, that sure. don't have continuity and they don't have the sales that Marvel and DC does. But ultimately I think, yeah, well what we see is that people that are already into the thing continue to buy the thing. And those number of people have just, we've just seen them shrinking over the past decade, yeah. right? From a point where, you know, there was, a, there was this beautiful moment where it seemed like it was all going to change. And then three reboots later, we're back to where we were. Yeah, 2015, like, is every human going to start reading comics? Yeah, and then they didn't. Exactly. And it's not 100% the fault of this kind of thinking about continuity, but it's some of it. It's absolutely a piece of it. Yeah, yep, for sure. Wow, that was a lot of Dan Didio talk, bro. Whew. Wow, I never, I never thought I would talk about Dan that much. To be fair, well, I uh, maybe, maybe we justified all of the the yapping that we did about it. In the meantime, did you read any good comics this week? I read a stack of uh, three comic books this week, just three so far. Okay. I read, well, so we should say this week, one of our favorite writers over at DC under their black label, which we've yeah. been talking about, <laughs> uh, Tom King, Mitch Gerards, and Evan Doc Shaner uh, put out a book called Strange Adventures, number one. This is uh, Tom King and Mitch Gerards did Mr. Miracle. Yes. They did Sheriff of Babylon. Uh-huh. Uh, this is, they've won every Eisner. So many Eisners, it's crazy. Uh, we talked about this team a lot. We talk about Tom King all the time. We love him so much. Uh, we're excited. We were excited for this launch, and still am after reading it. It was super fun. It's very Tom King-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about a, a guy named Adam Strange, who that's just his name, by the way, which is, that was his name before he became like a champion on another planet, which is pretty lucky, you know, because his name could have been like, you know, Jim... Fredrickson or something, which right. is a fine name. Where are you going with this, bud? 
he just lucked out with that name. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. So uh, he uh, discovers this thing called the Zeta Beam, and he can get zapped between Earth and this other planet weirdly. Yes. Yes. And he goes to this other planet, and they're being invaded, and he, he becomes their hero. He defeats this invading army, and he becomes... John Carter style. Exactly. There you go. John Carter of Mars. No one will get that reference, but okay. that's okay. Yeah. Um, and this is, this is King doing his thing, right? This is a retelling of a classic 60s goofball DC character, but like brought into modern times. We have a misguided and possibly depressed man. Uh-huh. We have a practical wife who sees the world a little bit more clearly for what it is and helps this dude keep uh-huh. his life in order. He's done fantastic things in his life, but he also has the mundanity of living in the real world. Stop me if anything, any of this sounds familiar. <laughs> and I loved it. It was so fun. The art's so, so polished and good. It's like a, a bigger book. It's probably 40 pages. Yep. It was great. It's going to be 12 issues. It's great. Can yeah. I just say, I don't like seeing the lane. I know this about you. I know you hate the lane. I hate the lane. And by that, I, you know what I mean? I know exactly Can what you, you mean. Can you explain back to me what I mean? Yeah, so, so Nick is a writer, and he's a, he's a damn fine writer. You're welcome. Okay, I, I was fishing. Thank you. I gave it to you. You deserve it. He, he knows when a writer has... Everybody's got tricks in their toolbox if you're a writer, if you're a creative. You got five or ten things that you're going to bust out and use in your story um, because you're good at them and they're, they make a compelling story. Um, they're your signature, if you will. Yeah. You know, if you look at an artist like uh, Jack Kirby, you know what he does. He's got things he does every time. You know his style. You know Tom King through his pathos, through his yeah. um, character development, the style of dialogue that he writes. And those are the lanes that Nick can see. So you can clearly, you're saying you and read. you can see him too. Absolutely. I've read enough Tom King now that I, yeah. if I didn't read his name, I would immediately be like, this is a Tom King book. Yes. Yeah. And it's, and I just wish that I, it, and really every writer has them. They do. Every writer does it. Every writer has, you know, motifs and ideas that they kind of like pivot around. And this one feels particularly close <laughs> yeah. to the thing that he is very, very good at. And it's the sad man. The Tom King blueprint. Yeah. And... For all that, all that being said, I did I really like this book, and I think it is doing different things than Mister Miracle, and it's doing different things than you know uh, the Vision and his other kind of big critically acclaimed yeah. books. Um, but yeah, there is uh, there there are some patterns that are starting to be revealed, and I wish I couldn't see the patterns. Yeah. So I I love seeing those patterns. I'm okay with it yeah. as long as you flex within that. And he does flex, you know. So yes. that's good. I I know you got a style. My favorite writers all have. A blueprint that I can see a mile away. Warren Ellis, Grant Morrison, all my favorite, favorite writers and, and creators definitely have. You can see the lanes. Um, but what, can you do it well? Can you do it well? So Yeah, and he does it very well. He sure does. Um, but I want to give a quick plug. A DC has a couple other books this week. So if you're going to your local comic shop, they reprint uh, an early mystery in space comic that's just super wild. Check it out. It's a facsimile edition. It's great. But the weirdest book I read all week, Nick, was... Uh, a reprint, DC Dollar Comics. It's a reprint of Swamp Thing number 57. Okay. And Alan Moore and Rick Veitch, who they're credited with like making one of the greatest Swamp Thing runs in all time. Saga of Swamp Thing. Oh, it's just huge, right? It's the most sem- one of the most seminal comic books in the history of DC yeah, Comics. Yeah, another sad man. Another uh, sad man. A sad Swamp Thing. <laughs> That's right. Um, this is the weirdest and shittiest uh, Alan Moore comic <laughs> I've ever read. It was 
actually terrible. Really? Oh my god, it was atrocious. Why? Um, well, just I, I encourage you to read. It's only buck. If you see this at a comic shop, pick it up. Um, in this comic book, uh, Adam Strange is getting sucked back to his planet through the Zeta Beam. And, and that's why they put it out this week to like celebrate yes, to, Adam Strange stuff. We're all we're going a full Adam Strange. It's a Swamp Thing book featuring Adam Strange. Yes. And so he's getting sucked through the time stream and he sees Swamp Thing and somehow Swamp Thing gets sucked along on the beam. Uh-oh. And so he ends up on a planet that he doesn't know what he's doing there. Yeah. And uh, Adam Strange has to kill him because he looks like a monster. So he's just shooting him a whole lot with his gun, but the whole time he's... <laughs> Adam Strange is shooting Swamp Thing yes, a whole he, lot with his gun? He's just blowing him away. He's flying around in his jetpack just like, die, monster. Pew, pew, <laughs> pew, pew. And uh, <laughs> the whole time this is happening, he got pulled out of bed with his um, significant other. And, and Who's he? Adam Strange. Okay. And uh, <laughs> Sorry. And uh, the whole time he's shooting Swamp Thing, he's thinking in his head how much he wants to get back to his, the supple thighs of his lover. And there's all this very, very <laughs> shitty, gross, like semi-erotic language yeah. uh, from Adam Strange. Uh, it's incredibly bad. That's a bummer. I it, can't wait to read it. <laughs> oh, it was so good, though. Yeah. Miserable comic book. Yeah. Oh. Alan Moore, creator of Watchmen. Creator of Watchmen, the exactly. W- the wizard of comics. Yes. Oh, my God. The killing joke himself, Alan Moore. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> the human killing joke. <laughs> So there's a lot of a lot of Adam Strange this week. Cool. Yeah, there you go. Cool, cool, cool. Do you think we have time for one listener question? Let's do one. And let's make it a good one. Okay. This is, here's a good one. Katie writes, Dear God, there's a Star Trek comic. Are there any comics you guys know of that try to depict real live, recognizable humans that don't feel just totally goofy? Not not a lot comes to mind for me. Thank you, Katie. Thank you for writing. Great question. And I think what's being asked here is in Star Trek, Star Trek is a TV show that's starred humans playing characters. Okay. So when you make a comic book about them, you're basically drawing actors. You're drawing actual people right. that really live in the world. Mm-hmm. And the the insinuation here is that that pulled Katie out of it because you're looking at a drawing oh. of... Spock or whatever, and that ain't Leonard Nimoy. No, that's not, it looks wrong. Or is it? An, or maybe it's cool. Mm. But how has this been done in other things that other than Star Trek, Curtis? So many things. Yeah. Like what? Uh, so the first one that popped in my head is a book called Wanted. 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 It's uh, they made it into a movie. Yeah, they did. Don't watch that movie. It's not good. Neither is the um, comic. The comic's great. Fuck you. And uh, <laughs> it's by Mark Miller. Um, yeah, who Nick loves. Oh, talk about a lane. And uh, yeah, he's got one. The artist by a guy named J.G. Jones who can do really, really good, I think, almost photorealistic uh, drawings of people, of real people. Yeah. So this book is filled with them. It's got Eminem as the lead character. And immediately, his first panel, you look at that, you're like, hey, Eminem's in this comic. Yeah. Whoa. Uh, Charles Bronson is his dad. Hall- Halle Berry's his girlfriend. You know, yeah. so. And you can immediately tell these characters, right? Uh, I thought it completely worked. Did not take me out of the comic. I really, really loved it. It's a gross, like R-rated murder, killing nightmare scenario. Yeah, thing about superheroes killing all the superheroes. Yeah, yeah. That's Mark Miller's favorite thing in his lane, which is regular dude becomes a murder machine. Yes, regular and and a fuckwit really, not just a regular dude, like a but total like kind of an asshole, finger up the nose all day long, becomes an awesome killing machine, and yep. it turns out that when that happens, it's <laughs> awesome. And Halle Berry that's, will be your girlfriend. That's literally every <laughs> Mark Miller book. This is true. This is um, very true. And Mar- I wonder if Mark Miller like 
writes his scripts and give the, gives these mandates to artists because this also happened in The Ultimates. The Ultimates has a lot, which is also written by Mark Miller. This is a, like a reimagining or like a, what is it? Kind of like an Elseworlds thing for the Avengers. Yeah, it's like what if we're going to restart the Avengers and we're yeah. going to kind of boil it down. So all the kind of big beats you know about the Avengers happen. Captain America still is yes. a super soldier and all that shit, but they, they kind of start from zero. Yes. Yeah. And it's a pretty cool book. It's a pretty cool Avengers book. I and, really like it. And in that story, um, we have... Uh, what the fuck? Why can't I remember the name of Samuel L. Jackson's character? Nick Fury. Jesus Christ. You're welcome. Thank you. Nick Fury is, is Samuel L. Jackson, and when you look at the page, you're like, that's Samuel L. Jackson. 100%. And this is before the Avengers movies. This is before uh, Samuel L. Jackson like, is actually playing this character by years, before this is even like a twinkle in somebody's no, eye there, at Marvel Studios. There is no MCU. There is an, I don't even know if there's Marvel Studios at that yeah. point. And you could argue yeah. that like this comic, The Ultimates, because it was filled with characters that were drawn to look like movie stars, got somebody's brain turning no. over at Marvel Comics or at Marvel Studios. 100%. And you know, as a result, Samuel L. Jackson is Nick Fury in those movies because Mark Miller was like, make him look like that. I, that's a germ that uh, infected whoever, and that is real. Yeah. That happened. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. What yeah. else? What Any, any other? Uh... Well, I just I went down a, a bunch of lists. It turns out there's like tons of them, right? And it all makes sense now that I look back on them. John Constantine, who is the Hellblazer, also created by Alan Moore, is Sting, of course. 100%. The character Sting. design is based on Sting. And you look at those characters, and you're like, oh, absolutely he is, right? Um, people uh, listening to this podcast might have watched a TV show called The Boys, based on a comic book. Uh, Wee Huey, the character, the main character in The Boys, is Simon Pegg, 100%. Mm-hmm. Simon Pegg's too old to play that character now, so they made him his dad on the show, which is pretty cute. That's pretty cute. But it's 100%. You can't miss it at all. You look at this character in the comic, you're like, that's Simon Pegg, 100%. Yeah. Right. Pretty rad. Um, yeah, there's tons more. I didn't know Monica Rambeau was based on Pam Greer. Who's Monica, Monica Rambeau? She was Captain Marvel for a while over at D, uh, Marvel Comics. Based on Pam Greer. Pam Greer, cool. And then when you look at those early character designs, you're like, fuck yeah, it was. Yeah. That's awesome. So, and then there's lots of adaptations of stuff. So all of the Star Wars comics are, all of those characters look like their counterparts in the movie. Yep. You know, Luke Skywalker looks like Mark Hamill. Leia looks like Carrie Fisher. Like, that. they're analogous to Star Trek and like seeing these adaptations. Sure. There are sometimes good comics that have just one-to-one recreations of those actors yeah. in the style of whatever artist. Well, I think mo- modern Star Wars is a great example. Like, yeah. There's some good artists who are re- like there's no way that you don't know that that's yeah, Harrison Ford in yes. that, in that comic book. Yeah. yeah. Is it totally goofy? I don't know. I can't think of when I think of my favorite comics, I don't know the, how much they use this trope because what we're talking about are actors that are modeled. You know, th- these are always characters that are modeled after very famous actors. Yeah. And in Ultimates, it was effective because it was really striking. Like everybody in the cast was modeled after an actor. And it's like, oh, he's doing a thing here. This is really yep. interesting. Um, that was the first time I really keyed in on it yeah. too, like where where it wasn't a Star Trek, Star Wars thing. Right. It was like... You're you're filling these roles with actors like you're casting a movie. Yeah, yeah. But now I think I think to do that trick again would be kind of cheesy, right? Like if if somebody else just did that with a new Avengers book or a new Justice League book, now it'd be like, oh, okay, you know, you didn't want to come up with character designs <laughs> right. or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's happened. It's happened a lot. 
I don't know if that we answered that question at all. We just said a bunch of facts, but well, is that answering questions? Is that how that works? That's uh, yeah, maybe that maybe that's how we think it works. Yeah. <laughs> it's the secret to our success. Uh, cool, man. Let's. Uh, do you want to end the podcast? We. I think we've talked about all the stuff we can. Well, it was a pleasure. And before we leave, I'd like to know if you recommend anything that is not a comic book, and how about not a board game? Okay, I'll do it for you. Please. Because I love you. Thank you. I love you. Thank you. Uh, my recommender this week is the Final Fantasy VII Remake Demo. Hey, I played that too. Dude! Did you finish it? I have not finished it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I got about a half, just about a half hour in it. What are all those stupid words you just said? So Final Fantasy is like a great video game. It came out, uh, well, the original came out a million years ago. Yeah. Um, but Final Fantasy VII originally debuted way back in 1997? 96, 97. 96, 97. Yeah. On the PlayStation, the original Sony PlayStation. And it's an RPG. It's a Japanese role-playing game, also known as a JRPG. Thank you for clarifying that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's great. It's uh, You got this guy named Cloud. He's got spiky hair. Mm-hmm. He's got to save everybody. Classic. Yep. Goes and finds a bunch of companions, and you team up, and you do all kinds of weird stuff. You dress in women's clothes. You go to the bottom of the ocean. You it's fly in a ship. It's one of the most, like, it's one of the biggest video games of all time. All time. It made this series, like, a household name. Yes, no, it sold millions of copies. It, it blew my mind. The time that I played it, it was like the most exciting thing I had ever seen yeah. in a video game. Even if you don't play video games, you've probably heard of Final Fantasy, and the reason you've heard of it is because of Final Fantasy VII. Yes. And now they're remaking it. They're remaking it, and it's been like, I feel like, has it been a decade in the making? Who knows? They've been so threatening long. to remake it. it they, people have been clamoring for a remake of the because it's one of the biggest video games of all time. People yep. are excited. Yeah, and and it's been a mixed bag, right? Of of emotion for me. They announced it, and I'm like, oh, that's great, do it. And then I'm like, oh, don't do that. Yeah, you're gonna. There's no way to redo it. You you can't make it better. You can't improve on, yeah. on solid gold on a perfect ten. Yeah. Um, half hour into this demo, I'm I'm a believer, mm-hmm. and I'm losing my shit, and yeah. I can't wait to get a full copy of this game. It is so tasty and refined the combat is delicious the graphics are amazing it's nostalgic as hell which i'm sure has given me so much pleasure yep but i think if you've never played the original you would still play this and go holy shit this is a triple a modern polished uh jrpg it's cool i played the whole thing the other night and uh it's cool i also did not think that i really cared about this thing happening because i love final fantasy 7 yeah here so when i you opened uh vault of midnight in 1996 yes and i would come over as a 10 year old 11 year old uh boy yeah and hang out and you had not only would you sometimes be playing final fantasy 7 on a television in the shop yep. during business hours because well, there's no customers there's no customers yeah. and i wasn't going to buy anything so i yeah. just stood there and watched you play this <laughs> game as a kid you also would record yourself at home yeah. playing final fantasy 7 and run the tapes and run the tape at the shop and i would watch the tapes well so those tapes i still have them fuck you you do not still i do have them. i still have my entire collection because i oh my god there was all this secret shit like like I recorded me like getting a gold chocobo, which means nothing to anyone listening to this. <laughs> I recorded myself defeating. They had two secret weapons for the American release, the yeah. emerald weapon and the ruby weapon. They were giant bosses. I remember distinctly watching video and it's they are not riveting to watch. Dude, they're super riveting. It's just it's just you casting Knights of the Round over and over and, over and over and over again. 
for like a half an hour, like 30 real life minutes. Look, dude, I built, I beat the Emerald Weapon in like seven minutes, dude. All yeah. right. That's fucking badass. That's exciting. <laughs> it Nick. was exciting. I was riveted by it. <laughs> but I cannot separate Final Fantasy VII from Vault of Midnight. And now they're doing a remake of Final Fantasy VII. Wow. It you is. know, I never put that together until just now. It's full circle, man. Full circle. 25, this is 20, almost 25 years later. It's crazy, man. Wow. Yeah. And it, it lived up to it. I, this, this is the. I, I know people are already hype as hell for this. Get more hype. Play the demo right now. Uh, it's fun. It's out in a couple of weeks. It's good. Yeah. It's good. Cool. So, Nick, you got any? Uh, no, I just want to piggyback on your recommendo. Cool. That's Final a double recommendo. Demo. That's a double recommendo. Yeah. The rare double recommendo. And that's going to do it for us today. Thank you so much, Curtis. You are welcome. Thanks for hosting. Thank you. And thanks to A-Bomb, who made all of our music. And thanks to Aaron Polk, who edited the show. Please subscribe, download, and review The Super Skull on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. You can find us on Stitcher and all the other places where podcasts are. Also, please tell a friend uh, in in stern words. You don't don't oh, yeah. dance around uh, do the it niceties. Mean? Yeah. Just get in there and say, hey. Yeah. Whoa. What did I do? What, are you mad at me? Give me your phone. Okay. Tell me your password. Uh, here's my password. Do- what, are, am I in trouble, officer? You are. Big trouble. Do, 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 do. Okay podcast app subscribe that friend oh you're subscribed to super skull show you're welcome thank you my life is enriched (laughs) and seen you can also follow us on twitter and facebook and instagram you can go to our website super skull show that's how you can find us super skull show.com slash donate is a cool place to go to on the web on the on the web yeah (laughs) (laughs) and you can give us some of your hard-earned uh just a couple bucks of your cash yeah this show takes money to make and uh we could not exist without the people that currently give us money to make this thing Five bucks a month is huge. Thank yeah. you very much to all of our recurring donors. And you can become a recurring donor today. <laughs> right on. And those web hosting services, darn, they're expensive. The web hosting. On the web. Editing. <laughs> Super also costs money. It does. Yeah. These are things that cost money. Curtis breaks a microphone every single time we record this podcast. Microphones cost 130 US dollars. Shit. Plus tax. That's per episode, folks. We put out a weekly show. Just think about that. <laughs> I don't know how math works, but it feels like a lot. Yeah, that's right. Super Skull is brought to you by Vault of Midnight, Earth's finest comic books and stuff and podcasts since 1996. My name is Nick Weibar. And I'm Curtis Sullivan. And we wish you very good reading. Until next week. <laughs>